Good evening and welcome to Real Conversations with Jenny Rice Sparkman as our guest today. Hey, Jenny, how are you doing this evening? Uh, better since I've heard your voice, Stacia. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you for being here. And I'm so excited about all the things that you're going to share tonight. Um, and so before we even kick this thing off, I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about who you are, Jenny. Absolutely. Um, so my name is Jenny Ray Sparkman. I was born and raised in Texas, primarily in New Mexico as well. Uh, I currently reside in New Hampshire uh, with my partner. I'm the director of the Office of Equity and Inclusion for Holderness School, which is an independent private boarding school. It's very different from how I grew up. I grew up in public schools in rural Texas. And I left, I was the first student ever from my high school to receive an athletic scholarship to go to college. I'm a first generation college student. Wow. Uh, yeah, I went, I, I, it was a good start, but you know, I, uh, I'm actually a college dropout and I say that with pride. Um, I went to school for three years. I played volleyball and basketball in college. And then I dropped out of college. And yet here I am today at an independent boarding school doing work that I love and hopefully making a difference in the world. And so I love the fact that my story uh, sometimes interrupts people's ideas of what this work and the people who do this work look like. Uh, totally. And let me tell you, there's no hopefully about it, Jenny, you are doing the work. And I will tell you, like, that's one of the things that really, um, draws me to you and leads me to my like admiration of you. The fact that you are a white woman who are, who is doing the work, but I want you to tell me more about your identity, um, and intersectionality. Like, can we go a little bit deeper with that even? Yeah, and I might as well just keep introducing myself uh, <laughs> because there's so many of the stories of Jenny um, and, you know, my process of continual becoming. So I identify as a queer cisgender woman, and I've come to that uh, definition, those words, through a really long process. I grew up, as I said, in rural Texas, very much in the Bible Belt. Um, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Pentecostal non-denominational religion. Uh, there was a time in my life I was being groomed to be a pastor. And I grew up in a world where gay people didn't exist. And I mm -hmm. want to be clear about that. It's not that they weren't there. It's that we didn't acknowledge them. We did not allow them visibility. And the only times that I ever encountered language that was in any way representative of the queer and LGBTQ community, it was derogatory language. Wow. And so it was boys being called homophobic slurs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I grew up in the 90s in Texas during the HIV crisis when um, the gay community, particularly the gay male community, was at being blamed for the AIDS crisis. Yeah. And so there was just no language for, for that, those identities in the world that I grew up in. And so I didn't, 
I knew I was different. My, my whole life, I knew I was different. But I didn't have the language to express that difference. Yeah. And I didn't have models of difference. And wow. so it wasn't until a really traumatic experience when I was in high school when um, a, I, I had drank too much at a party and a male student, maybe he may have even been a graduate at the time, tried to force himself on me. And I hid by going in a room where my best friend and her boyfriend were sleeping and just kind of curling up on the end of their bed. And the next morning when I woke up, he had brought people into the room and told everyone that I was a dyke and that I had raped her. Um, Oh my gosh. And that was the first time I ever heard that language. And so, and there was, there's a, a long story behind this where he continued to traumatize me and harass me. Um, and it was basically to save himself. Right. Right. Uh, but it, it very much on one hand isolated me on the other hand, I still had this support from some people that, you know, that probably saved my life. Um, but so there was a time in my life when there were no gay people and there were no language for them. We just pretended they didn't exist. And then my first real encounter with that was someone else naming me in a way that it was something to be avoided and to be afraid of. Okay. Um, and so I carried that with me for a really long time. And so when I think about my identities and the way I show up in places, um, I'm very aware of what society has conditioned us to understand about particular identities. And I also know that I carry a lot of privilege. I'm a white woman, right? Um, And so I can show up in ways that other people don't get to. Um, and, And so that's kind of part of my journey. You know, is not feeling connected for a really long time. I mentioned I dropped out of college. I like to call those my rogue vagabond years. <laughs> um, I obviously eventually went back, and and I have the, a couple degrees to prove it now. But um, but you know, when I think about intersectionality, I think both of the privileges I hold and those things which are denied to me, and as a gay person. As a, a queer woman, I, you know, you'd think in my 40s I could stop coming out, but that's just never true. You know, I remember when I first came to a boarding school, I was teaching at a university and I wanted a bigger impact with young people. I really wanted a bigger impact. And I think back to those teachers and those people who saved me in high school and supported me in high school. And, and I wanted to have that kind of impact on young people's lives. And so I you know, I came to a boarding school and I was so excited. Like this changed my life. So I'm a first generation college student. I carry significant college loan debt. I was having <laughs> to choose, right? Like that's real. That's real. <laughs> yeah. And I was having to choose in between a mortgage and my school loan payments. And I'm like, whatever, Uncle Sam can wait because like I need a home. Uh, and so like a boarding school, I was like, man, this is amazing. Like I get this opportunity to like actually make the right decisions And so I showed up and I was so excited. They were going to let us move into the apartment. And I remember the man who showed me into the apartment first time and he was so kind and he took the time to show me everything. And then we went to leave and he went to hand me the keys and he was like, Oh, I forgot to give you the keys for your husband. 
Oh. And I was like, man, I was, and now I got to say something, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I think of those moments when I've had students, parents of students be worried that I am influencing their kids. In mm. the um, I've had student, you know, one of the ways that I really identify myself is as an educator no matter where I've been in my life, I think I've always been an educator. Um, and, you know, having kids moved out of my classroom because oh. I'm gay. Uh, and so, you know, there are ways where I can show up and I have privilege and I need to spend that privilege. And it's informed both by the places I grew up, the, the small town I grew up in that was racially and socioeconomically separated by railroad tracks. Mm. Yeah. And, and I, I recognize that now and I know that I need to show up and with the privilege I have, um, use that to make a difference. And I think we make the mistake sometimes when we talk about privilege, meaning you have to stand up and do something. Right. And I think part of my privilege is knowing when to step back and make space. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, Jenny, you've said so much, like, really, you could do this interview yourself and I not say a <laughs> word because you are doing such a great job. But there are some things I want to go back to because you are just so like, um, like, you've just said some real poignant things, right? I want to go back to your growing up for a second, mm -hmm. because you mentioned these stories about these parents who asked to have their kids removed from your class, but you mm -hmm. didn't talk about your own family. What did your family support look like? So growing up, I had the most loving family. And I love to start with that because um, I think when we talk about specifically things like racism in the United States, we think of them as defining characteristics of being rather than systems. Okay. And so I grew up in a family where I was absolutely taught unconditional love where that guy that tried to accuse me of raping my best friend to cover up his own sexual assault, my father took down to the sheriff's department. Okay, go pops. Yeah, my dad was, you didn't mess with daddy. <laughs> uh, and like absolute unconditional love for who I was as a person. But that said, I grew up in Texas, you know, in a very like racist environment like people didn't date between races that was mm -hmm. that was you you don't do that right and when i talk about the town i grew up in it was racially and socioeconomically separate segregated right um gender like what i learned about my expectations as gender on one hand i was told i could do anything i wanted but the expectation was really that i'd get married to a man mm. And that was real. And I, you know, I, my, my father passed away when I was 21 and my mother's still with us. And I, you know, as much as there were so many problematic things when I was growing up, I love to quote my mother now. Maybe it's just because I'm getting older now and I realize how wise she is. You know how we do that. I know, right? Um, you know, we always <laughs> like, I'll never grow up to be like our mothers. Yeah, it, I tell all my students, by 25, you're going to apologize. So be nice now so you have less to apologize for. But, um, you know, she says some, she says, she has a saying that I love. And it's, I did the best I could with what I had at the time. Wow. 
And, you know, she also says, you know, uh, if you don't have time to do something right the first time, when you have time to do it again, you know, like she's got these great sayings. Those are really great. I got to write these down, Jenny. Those are great. (laughs) And I find I live my life by them now, but I think that one in particular uh, is really important because, you know, my family and the love they have for me has been complicated by the work that I do. Yeah. Um, And I always struggle when people talk about like, show me the receipts in this work. And I struggle with it because when you've had to give up your family members or you've lost family members at times because they don't want to be connected with you because you're committed to making the world a, a better place. That's not a receipt. Um, yeah that's a loss yeah and and that has been my reality at times and I Um, think about that Jenny because you talk about it as being a loss but then I think about the gain that you've added to so many of the people who you've come in contact with including me but I want to talk about your 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 students in particular because boarding school is a special environment. Like I've worked at one as well, but it was nothing like being in New Hampshire. I was in Southeast DC (laughs) and the kids went home on Friday, but you're like a surrogate parent to these kids. Mm -hmm. And so I hear all of that in your voice, like your passion, your love, and like you're pouring your life, like this is your life's work. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so I just think it's a beautiful thing that you had that support your mom was such a courageous woman in even admitting her vulnerability mm-hmm. of doing what she, you know, doing the best she could with what she had at the time. So thinking about something else you said is like, um, was there ever a time, cause you seem so empowered now, but was there an ever time where you felt like you just couldn't say anything? Like you, you knew there was something to say, but you just, didn't know what or how, or you just didn't even have the energy to say it. Was there ever a time? Oh man, every day. Oh wow. Like, like this is right. Like, um, you know, I've, I've learned from you talking about ebbs and flows, but there's absolutely times when I didn't know what to do, when I didn't know what to say. Um, and what I think I've learned is that the key to, what I do is authenticity and it took me a really long time to realize that like at the core of my authentic self is love Mm -mm. and and heard when you you have lived a life with significant trauma yeah um and you know at Last year, my chaplain and I had this conversation about how afraid people are of love. And so we started the year with our students by telling them that we loved them. And it's like this awkward moment where there's this like six foot two white guy and me in front of 300, 320 people, 280 of them are students. The rest are all adults. And we get the mic and we just look at them and we go, we love you. Yeah. And we just sat there for a minute. Um, And then we were talking about like why that would make them uncomfortable and why that was so key to who we are. And so there are moments every day when I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, And I don't know what to say. And I think that, you know, what moves people 
might be very different. I once heard a pastor speak about um, how telling people to care about other people isn't the way to go. You have to tell some people like how it's important to them. And I think in this, in, in that case, when he said that, I was like, that's not true. And I started talking to everyone around me. It was very true. And I was like, Oh, I'm the anomaly. Like I really, this is really sincerely about care for other people. Yeah. When I was in high school, I started saying this mantra and I I was like 15 years old, but it was, if I can make a difference in one person's life today, then at least I know I've made a difference. And I have said that since I was a teenager and this is three decades. I'm just going to name it. Uh, And I still say it every day. And so I may not always know what to do. I may not always know what to say, but there's also a humility that I'm okay with getting it wrong. Yeah. What I'm not okay with doing is nothing. Jenny, 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 you have said so much, but I want to go back to love. Okay. Mm. Because I can imagine someone like you hands out a lot of love, right? Mm-hmm. And we were, had the opportunity of listening to David Johns yesterday. And he talked about mm-hmm. having an index card of people he loves and who loves him back. And I mm-hmm. thought about that as far as like, who loves you to the point where you're restored and replenished. So Jenny, like, who are the people that love you back? Cause I see you loving so many people. How are you replenished? Who loves you? Well, you Stacia, <laughs> you're on that list. <laughs> you're not getting off that. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think I have a group of people and it's taken me a while, right? Like without going into all the rogue vagabond years, there are many periods in my life, um, when I have been sustained by other people and I didn't know it always at the time. And as I have come to terms with myself and realized that the authentic person that I am I realize that that's what keeps me going are those people um and I I know now that I don't survive without them I think I took them for advantage uh, or I took them for granted for many years of my life but you know I have to be honest my clean cohort like that's that's a lot of people yeah but if I need like if I need to sit right now this moment in my life, I am exhausted. The work going on outside, the experience I'm having in TC and clean scene right now, it it's it's more than I can manage. Yet I enter into that space and I am reminded of why I do this work. Yeah. And but then I've also got like I've got my core people, right? Like I have my Uh, my queer friends yeah who I can show up with as my authentic self and just be me um and I have those people that I text regularly and to be honest um I'm a person who has a lot of social anxiety Mm. like there's nothing more complicated than being an introvert extrovert with social anxiety who has committed yourself to making the world a better place for people (laughs) and in a in an intense graduate school program right now you are a glutton for punishment right (laughs) but you know I also have my partner yes 
and and she is a rock star <laughs> she is a rock star man she uh and you know we are very different people and she supports who i am in a way that i can just be me in this space that i call home yeah and i can and, testify to that so courtney yeah. shout out to you queen of the yeah. queen of the night i mean you are just amazing uh well you know we're we're all growing right and that's what i i need to show up how i need to show up so i can be that person um that needs to be so i can show that love yeah. right that's that's the direction we have to go in it's really hard to do this work if you are centered in a space other than love yeah, and you are so right and the, and the other thing that I'm thinking about, Jenny, is that, you know, I sit here and identify as a black woman, single mom, heterosexual, blah, 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 blah. And you're, you list your identifiers before and you listed your privilege as a white woman. But the way you are carrying the banner right now for Black Lives Matter, right? It's almost yeah. like you've put aside even the things that are and I don't want to say most passionate because it's not a competition, right? Mm-hmm. But I can only imagine, like, you have your own things that you're dealing with. You mentioned how you seem like you still come out every day. And I can't imagine what's that like. But you put that aside to now champion for Black Lives Matter. Like, where do you find that? I know we talked about sustainability, but, like, that's true love. I, I don't even know a question that comes out of that, right? That's just love. You give so much of yourself. So let's talk about self-care. Because <laughs> I'm, mm, I'm worried that yeah. you probably don't take good care of yourself. Others take <laughs> care of you. But what about your self-care? Oh, I, you know, number one, find a good therapist. <laughs> Amen. And like, and stop making that a stigma. Because like, you need someone that is outside your life that you can go and and I think particularly and I want to name DEI work and specific identities right like you never not show up as a black woman yeah and uh I never I can never show up at a space in my school and not be the DEI person like you know you sit down at a lunch table and everybody stops talking and you're like damn what were y'all saying yeah (laughs) You know, but, um, and I think because I live where I work, um, it is, it's really hard and I need someone outside of that and it can't be your partner, mm-hmm, right? Like right. it can't be your best friends and your partners all the time. Like they're where you go to vent. Um, but I, I don't think we should put the responsibility on those people for our wellness. And so I really do. I stand by, find a therapist. Find someone outside your norm that you can talk to. And there's times I show up, my wife says that, like, she goes, are we paying her to be your best friend? (laughs) (laughs) She goes, what did you talk about today? And I go, number one, you can't ask. Number two, we just talked about the week. (laughs) Wow. But you need that, right? Yeah. And so, like, when I talk about the, the thing that I do and that it's on my calendar every week, I go see my therapist. Also working out, which I'm not doing well right now. Me either. Oh, the struggle is real. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, finding those things that bring me joy. Yeah. And it's, it's different at different times, but I get me lost in music. Music is my life. 
um, and get me a good science fiction fantasy novel and sit me down, right? I'm, I'm still waiting to find out when you read Children of Blood. I know, because like <laughs> you, my friend, I have not taken care of myself. So we're learning from each other and I'm glad we have each other to hold each other like, accountable. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, my friend, like you've just dropped so many nuggets on us. You know, you're showing your authentic self. You're showing how you show up for people and it's so embedded in love. And I think that one thing Corona has allowed us to do, particularly for those who find ourselves spreading each other too thin, is like finding those meaningful opportunities and going a little deeper with relationships. Mm. But I can imagine that was a challenge in your boarding school. Mm -hmm. So how has your showing up for your students changed in this new normal or next normal we find ourselves in? Yeah, I think that everything in this world is relational. And um, one of my mentors, Nigel Furlong, used to impress that upon me often that this is all relational and I think if if you hadn't showed up before you if you hadn't showed up shown up for your students prior to COVID you couldn't do it now yeah and what I found was that and I this year was my first year I've been with 10th 11th and 12th graders for like the last four years and I had been with ninth grader a year ninth graders a year or two before that um, and I was really sticking with 10th graders because it's like the social development this year. And this year, my uh, department chair asked me to start teaching ninth graders again. And I am so grateful for that in this moment because they are so full of joy. Yeah. And we had developed a community that allowed us to create a space where they kept showing up as students. Like I never had a kid miss a class. Wow. And um, I just got an email the other day. One of their final exam projects was to write three letters. And one of the letters had to be to someone they didn't know. And I encouraged them to write to a senior center. And I just got an email this week from a kid who got a letter back. And, you know, I think when we show up for our students, our disciplines are our lens. Um but they're a way to teach our students how to be their tools, their skills. They're not who they are. And so I think that in this moment, holding those extra, that extra space for kids outside, letting them connect, letting them show up, you know, the number of times I held office hours or one-on-one writing workshops when kids just needed to talk and needed a space and needed to show up and, when their parents would call and say, Jenny, I just need to talk because I don't know what to do with them. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, we're good, right? Um, and, you know, we just got off an LGBTQ plus affinity group call tonight. And even to create that space and for our students and our alums to get together in the same space tonight to celebrate the last night of Pride. Wow. Like, Were you doing your happy dance? Oh, I was doing my happy dance. <laughs> I was doing my happy pride dance. Uh, absolutely. I was listening to some Todrick before I got started. Um, but yeah, you know, I think I think we don't show up once. I think we, we develop relationships that allow us and the people around us to show up all the time. 
and I showed up tonight. You can't see me. I got my hat on backwards. You know me. I got a hundred notes around me. I got books everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Right. Show up as the real you. Show up and let people know you care. Let them know you love them, and that that's a natural way of being. And when crisis hits, they're gonna know that there is a blanket that is that that can wrap around them. Oh, that's beautiful. And I just felt the warmth, right? And I can only mm. imagine in New Hampshire how valuable <laughs> blankets are. But I know even here in Georgia, like on those cold nights, there's nothing like snuggling up to a cozy blanket. And yeah. I I think it's just amazing that your community has you to wrap your loving, caring, committed, passionate arms all around them, virtually and in person. Um, oh. Listen, this has been amazing. Um, and it's definitely <laughs> one of the things that drew me to you from the moment I met you. And it's really hard to believe, Jenny, we've only been friends for a year. I know. Can you imagine all we've been through in a year? Oh, it's a lifetime, Stacia. It's a lifetime. It has been a lifetime. But I want to end on something fun because mm. you mentioned your science fiction uh, passion. And mm -hmm. so, Jenny, what are your superpowers and what is your mm -hmm. kryptonite? Because I'm hoping there's only one, but there might be more than one. But <laughs> what are your superpowers and what is your kryptonite? Oh, man. Um I would say probably one of my superpowers is love, right? Like, I think that that my ability to show up and care for kids, sometimes the kids that no one wants to care for, mm -hmm. like, I have a tendency to connect to the kids that no one would think want to talk to the director of equity and inclusion. Yeah. Um, and... So I would, you know, that's, that's one of my superpowers. I also think I just have like this diverse set of interests that people don't expect. You know, I was the chair of the pride and patriotism committee at my high school. Hmm. You know, I have this that's an interesting one. Right. Like I have this religious background. I'm that English teacher that teaches a course on graphic novels and science fiction. I think by the way, science fiction and fantasy, you want to reach the toughest kids do a world building exercise on a science fiction and fantasy book and let them really understand how social systems interact. So, you know, like I just, I have this set of interests that allows me to connect with lots of people in lots of different ways. Yeah. Um, my kryptonite, honestly, it's, uh, I'm going to say communication. Hmm. Um, and it's not my ability to communicate it's the world's requirement of communication. Um, and so for someone who, you know, I describe myself as an introverted extrovert with social anxiety, but that's real. Yeah. And I need space. Like I need private space and I need space away. And so one of the most difficult things for me is keeping up with email. Oh my gosh. Speak sister. Right. And it's not that I don't care and I don't want to, but I, and you've named this, I give all of who I am to people and then I need recovery space. Yeah. And so to then sit down and go through emails, like there is so much I want to do and that I want to do to maintain lines of communication 
that it can become overwhelming for me. Yeah. And so, you know, that can be my kryptonite. And I think that part of the reason it's my kryptonite is the, is the impact it has on me because then I feel like I'm not doing enough. Right. Right. We are our own worst critics. Yes. And I'm going to end with that one because I want to affirm you in all the greatness that you are. Like I said before, I've grown so much just being connected to you. Um, and it's so much even deeper than the the identity pieces, right? Because we have so many things in common, but then we also have differences, but it's what we love about each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but your passion for education and knowledge and research and the way you communicate to understand as well are all things that I have learned from you. And Jenny Ray, you just make the world a better place. Oh, thank you, Stacia. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you in Holderness in New Hampshire in the United States and the world is a better place because you are in it. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, As you can tell, we really did get real with conversation. And uh, Jenny, I just hope that you have a wonderful evening. Good night. People get liberated. Get up on your feet if you got the feeling. Hey. Get up on your feet.